Good morning, New City. How's everyone today? Everybody's got all their fingers and toes after the 4th of July. Got to have the obligatory 4th of July joke. Um, my name's Clay Naren. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I know a lot of people here. And uh, if I don't know you, I look forward to getting to know you. Uh, this has been a great church family to be a part of. And uh, I look forward to uh, continuing to add members to my family. And it's really changed my life. So last week... Uh, I'm going to kind of get into the scripture now. Last week, uh, Chris, who is a full-time pastor, I'm just a guy that's lucky enough to be here today, uh, he taught 37 chapters of the Bible, or 37, and he did it pretty simple. It was creation, the fall, the flood rose up, nations, Terah, Sarah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob wrestled with God and was turned, his name was turned to Israel, Joseph, 37 chapters, bang. So if you're a real pastor, you get to teach that many. If you're just your first time guy speaking in front of the church, you just get one verse. <laughs> I got one verse today, uh, and I'm going to read that to you now, and it's Genesis 50:20. It's the end of chapter 3, if you're following along in the story. And uh, basically, Joseph says this, He intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So he intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And uh, that's what we're going to be talking about. And Chris did a really great job last week of setting up the story of Joseph and told you everything that had happened to him. Uh, Joseph was the favorite son. He had 11 older brothers. They resented him because he was favorite. Uh, Jacob, his father, Israel, had given him a coat of many colors, the nicest coat of anybody in the family, made him resent them even more. He had visions that he was going to lead his family, and they would bow down to him. So the brothers resented him even more. They sold him into slavery. And when he was enslaved, he actually... God showed him favor with, his, with Potiphar, his master, and then his wife uh, deceived Potiphar and told that Jacob had made advances on her. He was thrown in prison. Even in prison, God chased him and found favor with him, and then he, he was able to come out of prison to tell and interpret, let God interpret through him Pharaoh's dreams about the feast or the famine, for seven years each would happen, and so he devised the plan to save the grain in order to save the nations to come. And Pharaoh thought this was really wise, and he made Joseph the highest power in the land, second only to him. So he had the lowest station in life to the highest station in life. And God found favor with him, and he remained faithful throughout it all. Now I'm going to pick up that story. What happened... Next was, Chris kind of didn't tell us about, is that Jake, uh, Joseph's own family started to be hungry. And Jacob said, don't you see there's grain in Egypt? Go buy the grain in Egypt. So he sent 10 of the brothers. He left one behind, the youngest behind, because he couldn't bear the thought of losing the youngest again, because he'd already lost Joseph. They, he, he didn't know. He thought Joseph had been consumed by an animal. He didn't know that his brothers had sold him into slavery. So he sent 10 there 
to buy the grain. And Joseph recognized them. And he had to go in secret and, and weep because he saw them and he loved them. And he remembered them, but they didn't remember him. And he spoke in a different language, but he used an interpreter. So they didn't know that he could understand what they were saying. So he sold them the grain, and he demanded that they leave one of the brothers behind and that they bring this youngest brother to him before he would sell them any more grain. And he put the silver that they had paid for the grain with back into their sacks, sent them on their way. They got back to their father, Jacob. Jacob's like, what have you done? How can you still have the silver? How did you leave your brother? And they're like, well, we knew we were going to need more grain. And he, Joseph, the most powerful man there in Egypt, said he wasn't going to sell it to us unless we brought the youngest son back. So things were being desperate, the famine being what they were. Jacob agreed and sent Benjamin with him for the second time. Now, Joseph still knew who they were, heard what they were saying, could understand it. They didn't recognize him. He did the same thing. He put his the silver back in the bags. He kept and they put his own cup in the bag and sent them out of town. Then he sent his sentries out to investigate and said, you guys are spies and deceivers, and I can prove it. And he found, they found his cup in Benjamin's bag, the youngest son. So he told the brothers who was going to enslave the youngest brother. Now all the brothers gathered together and bowed down on their hands and knees and asked that they be his slaves rather than the younger brother because they couldn't bear the thought of their father losing the youngest son again. They saw how devastating it was to him when Joseph was gone. They saw the error of their ways, and they changed to become his own slave. Now at this point, Joseph wept and revealed himself to them. And he got to go and know about his father. Uh, Pharaoh saw this and said, this is great. Bring all your families here. I'll give you the best crops and the best lands for you to live on. And Joseph said, don't worry. It wasn't you guys that sold me into slavery. God sold me into slavery for a purpose. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more today. Uh, I'm going to talk about how that relates in my life, how I had to make the decision to be more like Joseph or remain like Joseph's brothers. So with that in mind, I'm going to kind of get into my story a little bit. Uh, I was raised in the first Christian church, uh, Disciples of Christ in Great Bend, Kansas. I was always a believer in Christ. But it kind of stopped there for me. I thought John 3.16 was enough. I didn't realize you had to read the rest of the Bible to hear what God was telling you. He's got some requirements and some expectations of us. So I did that until I was in my 20s, and then I kind of, I kind of quit the church then because I kind of viewed it as a little bit, it wasn't that I had any problem with God or Jesus or God's Word. I just viewed the way the church was ran as a little hypocritical. Certain families had more influence than others. Um, it, just, it just wasn't for me, so I kind of faded away from it. I moved to Kansas City. I got involved with my wife, and her parents and family owned a business in Bonner Springs, Kansas. I quickly was able to get on board and be part of that team. I was fortunate enough to do that. And we owned a grocery store that was, at first, it was a country mart, about 28,000 square feet, probably a little bit bigger than that Walmart grocery store over here. And then we later on built it into a bigger store. 
So as I got involved in that, uh, you know, I had always been a really outgoing, personal person, and working in customer service just kind of fit into my needs, you know, talking with people, greeting people, getting to know them. Uh, I got really involved in that. And then as part of business, at some point, it's important when you have a family business in a small town to be involved with the community. So I started doing a lot of community service. I became involved in the Optimist Club. Now, my wife will tell you that I'm kind of a half empty guy in the cup, but I got to dispute that because I won Optimist of the Year one time. <laughs> so I, I don't know if she's always right or not, but I, I tell her she is. No, I'm joking. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I was, like I said, I was involved in community involvement, and then I got, I was the youngest president of the Bonner Springs Edwardsville Area Chamber of Commerce ever, you know, I was all pumped up about that, and uh, celebrated the birth of my daughter that year. Uh, things were going pretty good. Uh, I actually became involved then also on the Bonner Springs Library Board. I was active in making decisions for the library in our town. And pretty soon I started to notice a pattern. One thing you did was you always showed up for meetings. Because if you didn't show up for a meeting at a community service type of thing, they would volunteer you for the worst job. So you always got to the meetings to so make sure you got at least a good job and you got to vote somebody else into the bad job. But the other thing that I noticed was it was the same people every time. didn't matter what it was, whether it was a fundraiser for the Heart Association, uh, if it was Tiblo Days, which was the little community thing that happens every year in August there. really didn't matter what it was. It was the same people showing up every time. And I'm like, what's wrong with this picture? What's wrong with this community? How come somebody else isn't coming in to help with the kids? How come somebody else isn't doing this. I started to change my attitude and make it more about, why me? Why, why is it just me? And I got a little bit of bitterness. So this friendly person that I'd been, you know, that I had a garden full of green and full of flowers, it allowed a bitter root to take hold in the garden. And that little bit of the garden turned brown. And I decided I was done with community service. Somebody else can do it. So I quit. I should backtrack a little bit there. I was still involved with the library board. I should give you the final kicker. I was involved with the library board. I'd been on there for seven years. I was president of the library, and I was looking forward to being done with my community service with that. And even though I, the library was very important to me, and it meant a lot, and I loved the librarian there, I was ready. Like I said, I'd already gotten this bitterness going in my heart. But the librarian begged me to stay on. She said, can you stay one more year? We have trouble locating board members. And actually, we'd like you to be president again for another year. And so I'm, you know, I like her. My sense of service was still there, even though I'm tainted a little now. And I agreed to it. And three months later, she turned in a resignation. <laughs> I felt pretty put upon. I'm like, now I have to have, hire a librarian. First of all, I don't even want to be here. Now I'm in charge of the job hunt to find a librarian. Now, I was used to hiring sackers at a grocery store, teenagers, and now I'm looking for a librarian. Fortunately, the same questions I asked teenagers worked pretty good with the library. The librarian told me that was the hardest interview she'd ever had. But that was it for me. I was done with, with my community service. As I started and continued to work with teenagers, which I really loved working with, I felt like it kept me younger. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but I enjoyed being able to relate with teenagers. Uh, 
you know, teenagers are probably one of the toughest times of dealing with your kids, that kind of thing. So I was careful to watch, you know, because I could see good kids and bad kids. And I would look at their parents and say, what makes it happen? What makes this kid a good kid or a bad kid? And some people would have the greatest, the greatest kid, and the parents would be so hard on that kid, harsh, driving them away even at that point. I couldn't understand it. I'm like, what makes this kid so good still in, these, in this intense pressure? And then I noticed other kids that had the worst of parents. Their kids were actually parenting the parents. And I'm like, what made that kid be that way? And I really started to notice a pattern. And I noticed that it was most of these people had faith in Christ. These teenagers had a passion for Christ. So it was at that point I decided to bring my family back to church. And I knew the pastor at the First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in Bonner Springs, Kansas. So that's where I went, because that's what I knew. And uh, became involved there, started serving again as a deacon and, you know, serving communion and, and helping with outreach projects there. And pretty soon I started to see some of the same things that made me cynical about the church before. Certain people had more influence in the church than others. And they were hypocritical. They would say one thing on Sunday yet live their lives a different way during the week. And it wasn't too long before I fizzled out on church again. So, when we were at Country Mart, the smaller store, we had a Walmart right next to us. And it wasn't a Walmart Supercenter, it was just a Walmart, like they used to make. And it was the smallest Walmart in the state. And I started to become bitter with Walmart. Because about that time, Frito-Lay came out with the greatest thing ever that they thought. And that was the Olean Doritos, these fat-free Doritos. Now, there were some other consequences with those that kind of drove them off the market. But this Olean potato chip was hot. Everybody wanted to buy it because, you know, fat-free. we got to have fat-free. You mean I can eat Doritos and there's no, no problem with it? And so... Because Walmart has such a national presence, they would get, they had the same Frito-Lay truck driver that we had, but they would get a whole end unit, just giant build display of these magical Doritos. And they only had 16 feet of groceries in the whole store, but a lot of it was consumed by these Doritos. Now, we had a whole aisle in our grocery store that was devoted to chips, I meaning an entire aisle. We carried every single product that Frito-Lay had, yet we could only get two cases a week of the Dorito chips. So I got really bitter towards Walmart again, and another part of my garden started to turn brown as another bitter root took hold. I was very frustrated by Walmart and this. So let me ask you something. Who spent some money at Walmart this week? Okay. Who has only spent money at Walmart once this month? Okay. Who has only been to Walmart once in the last six months? Who's uh, been to Walmart in the last year? So as you see, the further the distance, the greater number of people it is. How many of you have spent 16 years not walking into a Walmart? That's how bitter I got. Not even a nickel were they going to get from me. 
So after we ban began construction of our price chopper, we decided we didn't need we needed to be bigger than a 28,000 square foot country mart because there were price shoppers in the city that were cannibalizing some of our business. So our we were more of a convenience store, grocery store. People would save up for the big three-day ad that the price shopper ran, and we would lose our customers on that. Used to be the holidays would be our big weekends. All of a sudden, they were starting to suffer, and we realized what it was. So we decided to expand and become a 56,000-square-foot store and become a price shopper. At that point, Walmart decided they needed a super center. Now, I don't know how many of you are very familiar with the grocery business or not, but it doesn't matter how large your community is, there's only so many grocery dollars to go around. So the more grocery stores you have, the more it's going to be split up. So I became super bitter at Walmart at that point. Another part of my garden died, turned brown. Six weeks after we did open, they're still in constructing the Walmart. No, I guess the Walmart is open at that point. But six weeks after we opened, we had a labor strike. Our, our warehouse, Associated Wholesale Grocers, had a strike. Their, uh, the pickers in the warehouse and the drivers wanted better wages. And because we were the brand-new flagship store, even though we didn't vote, you know, there were 800 st stores that made up Associated Wholesale Grocers. Our store was just one vote, and we really weren't involved in the end vote. It was the board of directors that made the vote that said, don't pay these guys anymore. We're not negotiating with the union. And so because we were that brand-new price shopper, the flagship store of that line, we had the picketers at our store every day. And they said a lot of hateful things, a lot of untrue things about us, like old man Brewer, my wife's grandfather, he voted for that personally. And Clay and, and Quentin and Chad, they are all against the union. And it's their fault that this is going on. You know, lies, you know, that you know, hurt my tender heart. <laughs> because I'm just like, this is not true. And what was even worse was these union workers were encouraging people to go shop at Walmart across the street. And I'm like, this makes no sense. Walmart doesn't even have a union. Their warehouse pickers and truck drivers are the lowest paid in the state. Why would this union person tell somebody to go there instead of somebody that's family-owned right here in the community that has always been involved in community service? Why would they tell them to go somewhere else? So super bitter again now. I mean, once again, you can start to see why I quit going to Walmart because I was so stinking mad and so bitter about the way they, they chose to do business. About that time, I decided I needed God again. So I started attending Westside Family Church. And a lot of you know that Westside was one of the churches that helped plant this church. And many of you, if you've ever been there, I know some of you have, you've heard about these legendary tales of Dan Sutherland's Sunday night fireside group. Like if you were in that group, you were in, you know. It was like the coolest thing to do. So I started going to that, and I would invite everybody in my family to go with me every week, but nobody would come. But it was, it was always good. The message came right at me, right at me. It was, it was something that I needed to hear and something I needed to execute. But I still was only passively partnering with God. I still was on the John 3.16 bit, and when I went to pray, I prayed just for me. 
I was putting myself in the box. I was putting myself before God. So oftentimes, when I would come back home that day on a Sunday, something little would happen at the house, and I, I have a quick temper. And it comes out like lava. I mean, I'm not very nice when I'm mad. And it's quick. I spew lava on everybody. And then I'm normal again, and I can't understand why everybody's standing around burned. You know, they got lava on. I'm like, what's wrong? Come on, let's go on. You know, let's move. I've already moved on. You know, that's how quick my temper is. And so I would go. I would hear the message. I would lose the message. And I was cognizant of this, so I would put it in my iPad and listen to it over the week. You know, just rehear the sermon, trying to get a piece of that. Because I knew that there was some kind of salvation there in believing in God and trusting in God's Word. But I wasn't living it yet. Now, at this point, we had slogged on against Walmart for a long time. Our sales had been eroded. Uh, We had a lot of debt from our old store still. We had a tenant in there that was only paying like half of the rent. Uh, The partners decided we better sell this store while we still have some equity in it and we can take some of the money from the store. And that was a bitter time in my life. That store is supposed to be there for my children. It was going to be their legacy. They would run that store, and they would be members that served the community. And it was a family-ran store since 1955. It's not supposed to go out. And I became super bitter, and my garden turned even browner. And with that sale of the store, there was a loss of identity for me, that store I identified with. My wife grew up in Bonner Springs, Kansas. Spent her whole life there. I grew up in Great Bend, Kansas, but I spent all those years behind the desk at Country Martyr Price Chopper, so when somebody would meet Lisa, they'd be like, oh, you're Clay's wife. She didn't have her own identity because of the store, even though it was her family's store. More people knew me, so when that store was gone, I was at a loss because I identified with that store also. So I spent a lot of time after that with tough things going on in my life. Uh, you know, I had low self-esteem now. I, uh, in a year, I decided, hey, the best thing you can do when you know a lot of people and you've been in another business is go sell insurance, financial planning. And that's what everybody and all of the recruiters were saying do, that kind of thing. So I went to work for a financial company, did some financial planning. I spent 80 hours a week there when my kids were 14 and 16, a tough time in their life, a tough time to be away from my kids. And I got really bitter in that too because I'm making 500 calls a day, and I did sell some insurance. I did sell some financial planning. The problem is it only paid back the draw of the minimum wage they were paying me for working 80 hours a week. So I would leave my house at 7.30 in the morning, not get home till 8.30 or 9, and I was missing out on my kids' life and I was missing out on my wife. So I quit that job. And I'm even more bitter now, because I'm like, started the, started this promising hope. The market was like 14,000. Two months later, it's 7,800. I'm still working my butt off. It's uh, 80 hours a week, and there's no pay. I'm working for minimum wage, and I'm an adult, you know, older than the minimum wage guy in my mind. You know, it's about me. At that time, uh, I I spent a three-year job search. 
because of huge medical bills that my family had racked up and not having a job for three years or, or, or greater, we lost our house. We filed for bankruptcy, which was, I could never perceive that in my mind. I'd be like, who does that? You know, it wasn't me for sure. And then certainly all of a sudden it was me. And when we lost our house, we moved to Leavenworth. And my garden's pretty brown by now. There's not hardly any green showing. And I lost that contact, that once a week contact with God, because I quit going to Westside Church. So now there's nothing going on in my life. Just, I believe in you, God. But I, I, I don't understand why I'm going through all this. I was putting myself in the box. I was very frustrated. I had a couple of temporary jobs. I worked for the Census Bureau. I was sending out 25 to 30 resumes a week, and I wouldn't even get one call back. So my self-esteem was even lower than before. I spent a, a year working as a repo man, which is a pretty depressing job too. Um, waking somebody up or having somebody wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning when you're stealing their car. Uh, that is an adrenaline rush, though. I'll give you that. <laughs> but I was I was super bitter, and I was I had all this stuff go on. My garden had turned brown, and I blamed everyone around me. I'm like putting myself in the box. Number one, hey, I've given to my community, I've given to my family, I've sold my business, I've done everything. When's it going to be my turn? With my attitude, I was a bitter and angry husband, a bitter and angry father, a bitter and angry friend. And I didn't have much compassion for anybody else. So let me tell you this, and I have a slide. Bitterness equals a brown garden. So if you keep bitterness in your heart, your garden can't live. So then we moved. We're out of this two-year lease finally. We're moving out of Leavenworth, which I just was an awful experience in my life. I'm thinking there's a new chance. I have a job by now. I work for the state of Kansas. It's another one of those uh, no-like jobs. I'm a tax collector. We all know what the Bible says about tax collectors. So please don't look down on me. I, I really do try to bring grace to that job now. But I couldn't have done it without God. And so when we moved here, we moved to 71st and Neiman. And when I first lived in Kansas City, I lived at 75th and Quivira, which is now the Carlisle Apartments. And my wife and I used to come to this theater all the time because I, I made minimum wage back then. And this was a dollar. You could see the movies for a dollar. Now, they weren't straight out. You know, the, they went to the big theaters first and then came here. But all of the 80s movies that are so famous, Back to the Future, Indiana Jones, uh, Ferris Bueller, any of those kind of things, we saw right here for a dollar. Only later, I think later on, they actually raised it to a dollar fifty, and so you know we we couldn't have popcorn that day. <laughs> anyway, it was kind of ironic to me that I had moved back into this neighborhood, and mind you, I still got my boycott with Walmart going on, an intense hatred of them, what they did to the small business and to the Family Guy. I personally would have encouraged you guys to boycott Walmart too at that point in my life. I was this bitter, angry person. 
and I was ready to give up on my marriage. I was ready to be done with it. I didn't want to mess with any of it anymore. So we moved into this neighborhood about a week before New City had their first service. And I'm in Dollar General. I walk into Dollar General that Saturday night. And I, I can, I'm standing right on the wrong side of the wall here. I'm over in Dollar General. And I hear the music. The band's warming up, getting ready. And I'm like, hey, that reminds me of Westside Family Church a little bit, you know, modern church. The message spoke clearly to me. And I walked out and I saw the marquee and I saw, hey, tomorrow's their next service, their first service. I need to go. But I didn't go. I didn't know yet. So I went to dinner that Sunday night at my in-laws. And at my in-laws, my sister-in-law, who still attended Westside Church, said, hey, Westside was one of three churches that planted New City Church. And I'm like, hey, I really need to check that out. So a couple weeks go by, I didn't check it out. I'm like, man, I really need to do this, but no onus. Then I'm walking into Dollar General again one day, and I look up and I see, hey, 11 o'clock service now at New City. And I'm like, hey, I could stay out late with my buddies on Saturday night, sleep in, still make it to church. Only I didn't. Then the next week, the little Shawnee Dispatch came, a little newspaper that comes every Wednesday. And there's a picture of Matt Miller, one of the pastors here, sitting in the lobby of this theater that I had gone to when I was 18 years old with my wife. And I'm like, man, God is hitting me over the head with this. I mean, you really don't see the signs from God until you start looking for them. And it was pretty clear to me I needed to get into this church now. So the next Sunday, I did go. And I came late. I snuck in the door. They were new. They didn't have as many greeters and many people to welcome you in. It was dark in here because the worship music was already going. I'm in the back row. I don't want to engage with anybody. But I'm seeing the lyrics of the songs up on the screen, and I'm like, tears are coming down my face because I'm like, how? How did I let myself get so far from God again? Even though I had never really actively partnered with God, I had totally turned my back on him, and I just had tears of shame. And about that time, Chris comes walking up to me and puts his hand on my shoulder. He's like, hey, I'm Chris. I'm glad you're here today, and I'm... I'm like, I'm Clay. I'm glad I'm here, too. (laughs) And uh, I kind of sink back into my reverie. The tears start flowing again. And pretty soon, another guy walks up to me. He's like, hey, Clay, I'm glad you're here. And I'm like, who the heck is this guy? And then 30 seconds later, he was standing right on this stage, and he was talking only to me. And that was Matt. He wasn't talking only to me, of course. It was God talking to me. But it felt like he was only saying the sermon for me. These were the things I needed to do. These were the things I needed to pursue in order to have happiness or joy in my life. So I realized at that point that I needed to make some choices. The first thing that happened was Matt invited me to his fireside group that night. Because I I went up to him afterwards like, hey, thanks, your message really spoke to me. I needed to hear that today. He's like, you should come to my fireside group. And so I did because I'm like, if you could get into Pastor Dan's fireside group, that was the bomb, right? (laughs) And I didn't have to go to my in-laws for dinner. So, you know, that's the one thing you can skip for is church. So I was like, yeah, this is a win-win. And I went there, and it was incredible because, first of all, the pastor 
wasn't some kind of far off, higher than, better than, holier than man. It's just a guy sitting there on his back deck smoking a cigar with other guys. And the things that they were talking about, the things that were going on in their life that they were letting Matt pray for, I mean, there were tales of affairs and struggles and relationships and all these things going on that I just am like, wow, this is the realest thing I've ever seen. This is so real. And he's just a guy. He's no different than me. So I pretty much knew, hey, that's my church. This is my kind of church, right? And so that was my first step towards becoming a follower of Christ, trusting in and learning to live like him. So I decided to be obedient. Uh, I started my own fireside group. You know, that was pretty cool. All of a sudden, every Wednesday night, we had a bunch of guys being real at my house. And we would talk about the problems that had gone on in our life, our kids, our relationships, our marriage, that kind of thing. And it was cool because every week it would be like, hey, I got church in the middle of the week now too. It's two times a week I'm really touching base with God. And I'm just learning, you know. And as things go on and I start taking smaller steps and actively partnering with God to forgive others, to forgive myself, and be filled with peace and grace, I was invited into other things. Chris invited me into a discipleship group. Now, I'm like, well, I'm not a good enough Christian to be a disciple. But I also learned from the Bible, you know, as I'd been reading the Bible and learning to live like Jesus, like I'd been taught here, that it was important if Jesus calls, you follow. Because Jesus asked people to follow him, and they're like, wait, wait, i got to get my life in order before I follow you. And Jesus left them behind. So whether I felt like I was qualified or not, I felt like God was asking me, not Chris. So I joined a discipleship group. And I spent a year with Chris and Stanton Cole, and we did some amazing things together as far as serving the community. And real joy in my heart again after serving. Not a why me, why nobody else, but actually making a difference in some kids' lives down at City Union Mission. Or that Christmas giving away bikes to the kids in the community of Shawnee, for church to have a local mission that I could see in my neighborhood was amazing. Now, during this time, my wife lost her job. And the day I picked her up from her job, I, I told her, don't worry, God's going to take care of us. I had that belief, that faith in my heart that no matter what, God's got this. God's got this. And it, and it was great because at that point, I... Uh, had to take a second job, and uh, I never thought, and, and can you show that picture, Stanton? I never thought that at 48 years old, well, the picture, Jimmy John's. <laughs> I never thought at 48 years old I was going to be at Jimmy John's, and I don't know if we'll get the picture or not, but I was able to work that job. I couldn't imagine being a 48-year-old working this entry-level job. It was just nothing I thought my life would be. And in working that job, have peace in my heart, not be angry and bitter. You know, I'd spent all these years bitter. I can remember cleaning toilets thinking, man, I should hate this, but I don't. I'm happy, you know. God's taken care of me. He provided me this second job. We are still making it, and... I don't mind cleaning toilets. I had grace and peace in my heart because I had been following and taking these steps 
becoming a worship leader in a small group setting with the fireside, discipling with Chris. So then Chris, after this, and I'm still working at Jimmy John's, he's like, it's time for you to start your own group, and I'm terrified again. However, he granted me grace because he's like, I want you to co-lead a group. So I had Stanton, so it made it a lot easier because I'm like, this isn't just on me. And so God provided for me in that way. And I was able to start and, and help lead a discipleship group. And as part of that discipleship group, we're part of the brown to green community. So letting go and forgiving and choosing to be like Joseph and forgiving what had been done to me and forgiving myself for becoming a bitter, angry person had let my garden start to grow, which gives us my other slide about compassion. Learning compassion equals the reward of grace. God rewards us with grace. So I'm grateful that no matter what, God continued to pursue me with his perfect love. No matter how many times I turned my back on him, he chose to come after me. Now my garden is green. I didn't, I didn't resent Jimmy John's, even though I didn't want to work there, and I didn't want to work those many hours. I didn't resent my wife anymore. I gained my wife back. I gained the trust of my children back because I wouldn't just spew lava immediately. Even if the water pipe broke and flooded my basement, I remained calm. I got to get involved in a church community and be part of a real church family that I can turn to and I know they'll be there to help, pick me up, keep me on the path, walking towards God. I recently moved my parents into a nursing home in the last three weeks. One of the most toughest things to deal with was my mom's Alzheimer's and watch who she had changed into and the frustration of dementia. But I still had grace and peace in my heart. God put somebody in my path every day to let me know that we were making the right decisions as we moved them into a nursing home. So... To really cap it off, and I had another picture. Did you find the pictures ever? No? Okay, we're going to work on that for a second. You guys have to come back if you want to see the pictures. Anyway, my wife and I celebrated our 28th anniversary last Saturday night. We went to the Rolling Stones. And that, I cannot believe how much energy Mick Jagger has for 71. I hope I can be that way when I'm 71. Oh, and uh, another thing, this, I got this water here. I bought this at Walmart. <laughs> that was the other thing I learned. I need to let go of that bitterness towards Walmart because darn it if they aren't the cheapest place around. <laughs> All right, I'm going to get back to Joseph a little bit now and kind of close this up for you. So Joseph sees his brothers. And he realizes his father's alive. And Pharaoh realizes how much this means to Joseph because he was wailing and weeping so loudly that everybody heard it because he was so grateful to see his brothers love him and change from their ways of the past. And so he went and, and had his father moved to the land, came, gave the best crops and the best land to his whole family to survive during the famine. I'm going to read from the scripture just a little bit bigger this time. I'm, I'm cheating because I, I'm going to get more than just one verse. 
not just Genesis 50, 20, but I'm going to read Genesis 16 through 20. But now that their father was dead, now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God? that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. So Joseph went from the lowest station in life to the highest station of life. And he had a choice. He could have been vengeful to his brothers that had sold him into slavery, but he remained faithful to God. He was an active partner with God. So he wasn't able just to save and redeem his family, but he was able to save and redeem all of Egypt. So I invite you today, are you going to be like Joseph, or are we going to be like Joseph's brothers? Will you seize the opportunity to actively partner with God to work through forgiveness in your heart, or will you be passive and allow yourself to be vengeful to others? Will you trust in your faith no matter what the situation? Saying, God, I know that what's going on in my life is on purpose. Which will you be? Will you be like Joseph or will you be like Joseph's brothers? Thank you.